was asked to write a poem to commemorate the third anniversary of 9-11, and I had had difficulty finding a form. I'm from New York, and I think I was just uh, so many of the things that happened on 9-11 were so personal for me that I couldn't even think about it. But as it happened, uh, I realized that I actually know a form because years ago I was in a religious order and I learned how to chant Gregorian chant. You're listening to the 2008 Jack Straw Writers Program. On this edition of the podcast, you'll hear program curator Judith Roche interview writer Sharon Cumberland. If you've ever read the Psalms, or if you think about the Psalms, you'll realize that they are stories, very, very personal, and yet they're all about nation building and battles and fights and people killing each other. In other words, they have huge scope. And so I thought, why don't I try to use that form since I know it and I can chant it? Because of the scope of this form, I feel like I could write about anything and everything, and it will all fit this form. Would you give us a little example so we know what we're listening to? I will read or chant a little bit from the beginning of Precentrics. As I mentioned, it's a long chant, so I'll just do a little bit. And the nature of Gregorian chant is they have to hum a little bit because it's not absolute music, and the chanter has to establish, or the Precentrics, which is why I called this the Precentor is the man, the Precentrics is the woman, and you have to establish where the dough is. So I have to do this little humming thing first. Okay. No one should be so high and not be moving. There is no place to move. When I was a young woman, I lived in New York City. I had a sugar daddy. He was not a lecher. He was simply vain. He wanted to do the town with a charming girl on his arm. He would take me anywhere. He would buy me anything. He bought me clothes at Bendel's and jewelry at Tiffany. He had no taste, so I chose all the restaurants. Café des Artistes, Le Cirque, the Pierre, the Oak Room at the Plaza. On my 28th birthday, he took me to windows on the world. Chic people found it slightly vulgar, overdone, a guilty pleasure. Now you'll hear Sharon reading her work at a live performance at Jack Straw Productions. The first poem I'm going to read tonight uh, came to me as I was shopping at Costco. (laughs) I know you would have thought I'd gotten six poems. (laughs) But I just got this one. I saw a cart parked next to uh, the hot dog stand, and in the cart there was nothing but two little kids sitting there patiently. They were sitting there so quietly, they, they were sitting there as if they were a giant roll of paper towels. So this poem came to me, Children in Shopping Carts. You see them at Walmart and Costco, sitting cross-legged in wire baskets, turning a can of yams or green beans in their pillowy hands, are gnawing on a wand of string cheese. They are placid, as if in a warm tub, or dully touring a strange culture from a safe remove. 
To you they seem carefully selected from the secret aisle, where babies wait in sleepy ranks, and moon-faced toddlers waddle about in a playpen, pacifiers and price tags pinned to their pink and blue overalls. Women who want children make their selections, pay the price, wheel the child from the store in a wire cart. Sometimes they cry, sometimes they try to escape, only to be chased and claimed by their new mothers. Yet even the stores with generous return policies seem never to take them back. Witness the older ones whining to their parents up and down the aisles for chips and sodas, forgetful of their origins. Even these retain an aboriginal ease with their surroundings because places of buying and selling are truly their native soil. I ride my bike on the Burke Gilman Trail, and down near Ballard in the industrial section, there's a building with a big sign on it that says Tacoma Screw. And I just thought that was so funny. Every time I go by it, I just laugh. <coughs> and so finally, I, I, I had to write this poem. It's called Tacoma Screw. It's not what you think. It's just an industrial fabricator in Washington State. Tools, pipe fittings screws. You, however, thought of bad behavior, something performed in brothels, the Wild West. Or perhaps you thought it was the moniker of someone bad and dashing, Don Giovanni, Mac the Knife, Tacoma Screw. <laughs> I don't blame you. It's the nature of double entendres, everybody's smutty joke. Maybe the old gent back in 1892, hanging his shingle, setting out stores, came up with a little pun for the loggers on the corduroy road. Not the sort of codger to mind that cyclists a century later ride by and snigger at the innocent past to coma screw, as though the risque is invented anew in the mind of every kid on a mountain bike. On the other hand, there could have been a Tacoma screw, like Butch Cassidy or Billy the Kid, seductive as Casanova, glamorous as Zorro, renowned among mountain men and dancing girls in rot-gut saloons all up and down the Columbia, famous for his threaded weapon, once sunk, so hard to remove. <laughs> well, I was, <laughs> this is also laughable, I was briefly in, Epis in, an, in an Episcopal religious order. I was uh, trying my vocation, uh, and I stayed for two and a half years. Um, I never advanced beyond novice. <laughs> and this poem might explain something about why. Uh, the only thing you need, word you might not be familiar with is habits, and it means a, a long dress that a, a nun wears. It's called smoke offering. My sister in Christ and I would hide behind the guest house and smoke cigarettes. Clouds rising like incense, staining our breaths. We would gargle in our cells and flap our habits out the window to mask the smell. We would tell each other stories of boyfriends and abortions to remind ourselves of our bodies. I went from Benson and Hedges menthol lights to Marlboro filters to Pall Malls, inhaling deeper all the time. I longed for Galois or hashish, a meerschaum pipe and a 10-inch cigarette holder to clamp between my teeth, for Thai gold and a hubbly-bubbly, for an opium pipe, for pot and a power hitter. 
I wanted to cram my nose with snuff and to stuff my cheeks with chaw, as if all life were reduced to mucous membranes and bronchial tubes. I wanted to spit tobacco juice into a brass spittoon and make it ring like the Angelus. <laughs> no, I only lasted two and a half years. And for my final poem, I'm actually going to chant this poem. It's about the Trappist monk Thomas Merton, who was a famous theologian and poet and who was one of the first theologians to be interested in interfaith conversations in the Roman Catholic Church with Eastern religions. He was a friend of the Dalai Lama. He died quite suddenly at a conference in Thailand where he had gone to meet the Dalai Lama because he stepped out of a shower and was electrocuted by turning on a, an electric fan that was ungrounded. And so it was quite shocking to the, to the world that this very famous and important man who had been cloistered all the way up until this time, the first time he ventures out in 27 years, he gets killed. In 2008 is the 40th anniversary of his death. His death was in 1968. And the people mentioned in this chant were and continue to be very important spiritual leaders who were friends of Thomas Merton. And I have to hum a little bit to get the tone in my head, so excuse me while I hum. <laughs> the Spirit of God broods upon the waters of creation. First comes water, then the shock of light. Remember Thomas Merton who died in Thailand. His monk's habit laid aside, he showered in the skin of Adam. Wet as a newborn baby, he stood in pooled water and touched an electric fan. The current flowed from his outstretched hand to the blessed earth beneath his feet. He lay blackened by molecules that crossed the path of his heart. How electricity enters the body like a soul, seeking a better place. He was transformed by the current, converted yet again. From the alpha of baptism to the omega of silo, the pool of silence. His conversion shocked the Pope and the Dalai Lama. Dorothy Day and Father Berrigan were shocked. Nelson Mandela in his prison and Cesar Chavez in his field were shocked. Stunned were the Quakers in their meetings and the Catholic workers in their slums. Monks in their zendos and monks in their stalls were stunned. The Spirit of God broods upon the waters of creation. First comes the water then the shock of light. Who was Thomas Merton, ready and naked in a bathroom in Thailand, born cleanly by molecules into a better place? How the arc of life is a knotted line, tangles twisted into the hum of language. How a young man entangled sought the path of silence, yet the tangle of writing was required of him. He wrote, 
I speak to you in some way as your own self. Who can tell what that may mean? I myself do not know. But if you listen, things will be said that are perhaps not written in this book. And this will be due not to me, but to the one who lives and speaks in both. That one called Merton to the Abbey of Gethsemane. That one called him to a shower in Thailand. Dressed as Adam, his outstretched hand touched the hand of God. First comes the water, then the shock of light. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Jack Straw Productions as part of the Jack Straw Writers Program. The 2008 curator of this program is Judith Roche. Music performed by Tamara Friedman and recorded as part of the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. Producer is Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are Mo Proventure and Tom Stiles. Narrator is Amy Brimhall and executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, Poncho, the Mayor's Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>